0: Well, there was once a man who was having some serious pain, and so he went in to see his doctor to get it checked out, and while he was there, they ran several tests. And the doctor, after the test, came back into the room and motioned for the wife to come out of the room and talk to him in the hallway. And once they were there, he had a somber look on his face, and he told her, Ma'am, I'm sorry, it's not good news. Your husband... He's very sick and he could die in just a few few months if we don't act now. We need to start acting now to prolong his life. And you are going to play a really important role in prolonging his life. And so in order to do that, in order to give him more time, he's going to need a lot from you. He's going to need a special diet prepared for him three times a day. He's going to need a very sterile environment in your home. Everything in your house will need to be sanitized and clean from dust and dirt several times a week. And as the disease progresses, he's going to need somebody to to help him move around the house and do just menial things like eating and brushing his teeth, bathing, going to the bathroom, things that we take for granted, everyday things like this. Well. As you can imagine, the woman was shocked. She never saw this coming. And man, this was a huge task. And she just, she was speechless. She couldn't say anything back to the doctor. So the doctor walked away and she went back into the room with her husband who saw her face and said, well, honey, what did the doctor say? She looked down. She said, she took a deep breath and she said, honey, he says, you're not going to live much longer (laughs) because she's not going to do the things. Good morning, and uh, welcome to Gateway. Uh, Last week, we uh, started this series called Servant Leadership, and we are using John chapter 13 as our main source. And in this chapter, Jesus is with his disciples in the upper room mere hours before his arrest and eventual death. And in these moments, he's being more direct and open and honest with these men than ever before because his time has come. Where before in his ministry, his time had not yet come. Now his time has come. And they don't know what's coming. But certainly Jesus does. And he is using this time to show them his message and his method to get that message across before he leaves the earth. Now last week, we covered the first 11 verses of John chapter 13, where Jesus goes around and he washes the feet of each of his disciples after the Last Supper. Motivated by his love for each of them, he gets up, he takes a towel, and he washes the feet of each man. He makes himself a servant to each man at the table that night. As he's going around, he even washes the feet of, Je- of Judas, though he knew that Judas would betray him shortly. He even washes the feet of Peter, though he knew that Peter would soon deny him three times. He goes around and washes the feet of each man there that night, though he knew they would desert him a short, term later, short time later in his hour of greatest need. And if you didn't pick up on this point last week, that should be a big deal for all of us today. Because if we're honest, there are times where we have some Judas inside of us, where we have some Peter inside of us, where we betray Jesus and we deny Jesus. And in John 13, we can see that Jesus loved these men just the same, even though he knew what was coming. Just like he went to the cross while you and I were still sinners, knowing that we would one day betray him and deny him even betray and deny him over and over again. Though we might read this story and wonder, how, how could Jesus wash their feet knowing that Judas was going to betray him, knowing that he was going to turn him over to the authorities? How could he wash the feet of Peter knowing that he would deny him? But thank God he did. Because we need that same amazing grace that he showed them. We need that in our lives each and every day. In the room that night, Jesus did what nobody else wanted to do. He lowered himself to the position of servant, the lowest servant. Nobody should do this. He took a towel because that is what servant leaders do. He humbled himself. But not just that. Jesus also took a knee. And that's the title of our message this morning, Take a Knee. Now, last week, we used the quote from Martin Luther King Jr., where he said, life's most persistent and urgent question is, what are you doing for others? What are you doing for others? And what a great question this is for followers of Christ of all ages. There was never a moment that Jesus was looking out for himself. There was never a moment that Jesus wasn't acting in humility. I mean, the whole reason that Jesus came to this earth was to love and to serve. Even in the moments after this final meal when he's praying in the garden and he's sweating blood because of the anxiety of what's to come. He knows what's to come. He still put himself aside because he came in humility to seek and to save the lost. We're going to be back in John chapter 13 this morning to continue on in this chapter. And so if you have your Bible with you, I invite you to turn there with us this morning so you can follow along. Last week, we finished up with Jesus taking a towel and washing each of the disciples' feet. Peter, if you remember, he objected. And then when Jesus said, no, I need to do this, he said, then wash all of me. He begged for a bath. Please let me do what it is I'm supposed to do. And now here we are, picking up things up in verse 12 of John chapter 13. And John writes, When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you, should, you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I am not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I am telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am He. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. So we have this passage in John chapter 12, and what can we take from this passage in regards to servant leadership? Well, we see that a servant leader is a leader in serving. A servant leader is a leader in serving. And that might sound oversimplified to you, like, duh, of course, right? It's right there. But sometimes simple is best. We don't want to overcomplicate things. Sometimes the obvious is what we should focus on. And perhaps especially when it comes to this topic of servant leadership, Because so many of our leaders in our world today, well, they don't start by serving. They're not leaders in serving. In fact, they never had to start at the bottom so they don't know what it looks like to serve others. They never had to fight their way to the top. They don't know what it means to struggle. They don't know what it's like to face adversity. See, they have no idea what the average Joe goes through because they've never been an average Joe. Most of them start at the top or near the top. Most of them have been at an advantage for most of their life because leadership is an inheritance for them, like old money. It's nepotism or favoritism. Basically, they've never had to earn their way to the top. It was simply given to them. And here is where the world and God differ. Because the world respects status, but God rewards service. The world gives titles, the world is impressed by, by how near the top you are, or if you're at the top, but God rewards service. And we're taught from a young age to shoot for the top, right? To be the best. That's, that's if you want to be successful, you have to be at the top of the food chain. And why? Because that's where you get the best perks. That's where you get the most respect. The business world rewards those who succeed with impressive-sounding titles and and big salaries, big bonuses, expensive trips. The social community envies those who have the best seats at the concert or the game or they drive the finest cars, those who live in the most lavish houses and are part of the most exclusive organization. That is how the world measures success. On the other hand, Jesus calls us, his followers, to forget our status and instead pursue servanthood to make yourself lower than those around you. And wouldn't it be interesting if you could only become a leader by first starting at the bottom and then coming up through the ranks? Obviously, it's an interesting concept. They made this whole show, right? Undercover Boss, where bosses could go around and and see what their average employee went through. And man, some of them were shocked, right? Just what they had to go through. Isn't it sad that they never knew that before? Wouldn't it be interesting if in order to be a leader, you first had to go through the bottom? What if in the church you were only allowed to lead if you had shown yourself to be one of the best and most consistent servants? What if you could only remain in leadership at your company or at your church if you had a continued record of service? And this is sort of what Jesus is teaching here. If you remember, prior to this meal, the disciples, they had been arguing about who the greatest disciple was. Who is the greatest among us? Who, Who do you like the best? And Jesus instead flips that up and he says, no, you have to make yourself the lowest. That's what this is all about. This was an object in humility that was cutting them down to size just a bit once Jesus had finished, he wants to make sure that they understood what just took place here. Do you get it? It's not about being the greatest. It's about making yourself the least and serving others. He wanted to make sure that they understood this point he was making, this method of humility that he was exhibiting to them. Now, if you're Jesus, if you're in Jesus's position, right? After you, the human response after you've gone around and washed all of their feet, you would go to your seat and go, all right, who's going to do me, right? You'd you'd slip off, you know, you'd slip off your sandals, you'd sit down and write, all right, I've done your feet, now somebody come do me, right? And you guys can cast lots, you can do whatever you want to do, but somebody come wash my feet, because I served you, now you come serve me, right? For many of us, we approach a lot of things in life with a, I scratch your back, now you scratch mine, right? Now you owe me a favor, because I did you a favor, I mean, if we were honest with ourselves, right, how many times do you serve someone expecting to receive some sort of payment back? And that can take on different things, whether that be them doing you a favor at some point or even just a small token of gratitude. Now, if, if, there was, if there, we could be a fly on the wall in, your, in the conversations in your home, how many times have you had the conversation with somebody in your house, your spouse, whatever, and you said, man, I went and helped, and they didn't even say thank you, right? Right? At least give me a thank you, right? It's like when you're out here on the main road, and the people pull on that center lane, and you let them over, they don't even wave. What do you say? He didn't even wave, right? I let him in. He didn't even wave, so I stopped letting people in. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Listen, I believe we've been conditioned to expect something something in return for our service. You better, oh, you, better, you better appreciate what I'm doing for you, okay? Because I'm not going to do it for you again if you don't appreciate it the first time. We go in expecting to get something out of it. And so if this was us, if we were in Jesus' position, we might have sat back in our seat and waited for somebody to come wash our feet now. I washed your stinky feet, now come wash mine. But not Jesus. I mean, of course not Jesus, right? But let us not miss the point that Jesus he served these men without any any expectation of them serving him right back. There was not an ounce of expectation that this would be re- reciprocated in any way. He wasn't providing he was providing them with an example so they would go and do the same for others. Listen, I'm going to do this for you with no strings attached just out of love because I want you to go and serve others in the same way. With the same attitude. And he was providing the example for us. So we will go and do the same for others with the same attitude, that we would be leaders and serving simply out of love. And here's the thing. In our world today, servant leadership is a radical concept I sometimes wonder if we truly understand how radically different Jesus wants us to be from the world. When we become Christians, we're not just saved from our sins, we're saved from this selfish and futile lifestyle that the world throws out there, that the world lives by. We are saved to live in a way that is radically different from the norms of our culture. We are to be living counterculturally. And we say that a lot, that we should be countercultural. We might take up different fights and, and say, no, I'm not going to go with the world. But are we truly living it out in how we serve? See, where the world defers to the crowd, God honors the humble. Where the world tells us to build ourselves up, God says to lose your life. Where the world tells us to stand up for our rights, God tells us to give up our rights for others. Where the world tells us to choose our own path, God tells us to follow him because his ways are greater than ours. Where the world honors the rich and the powerful, God honors the bent knee, the broken hearted, and the wet eye. Friends, God doesn't save the strutter. He saves the humble. He doesn't use celebrities. He uses servants. And three times in the Bible we see this phrase, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, that God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. Jesus wanted to make sure his disciples understood his way of doing things. He wanted to make sure that they understood kingdom values over worldly values because the two are radically different. Whereas they had just been arguing about who the greatest was amongst them. Now it's crunch time. He's got to make sure that they understand this, that they get this right. Because if they keep that attitude, the whole thing is blown. He has to make sure that they get what he's trying to say, that they would lower themselves in humility, that that's the way. He needs to make sure that they understand that before he leaves. He didn't want them to slip into the cultural norms or even the norms that the religious leadership were putting out there. Following Jesus, even for those who would lead the way in following him, would be radically different than anything they previously knew. And the more we grow and become more like Christ, the more we learn to discern the true qualities of what a servant leader looks like. And the more we begin to see that the worldly qualities of leadership are shallow and superficial. Jesus rebuked this worldly mentality in Matthew chapter 23 as he saw it in what the Jewish religious leaders had become. And so listen to how he described them. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat, so do and observe what they tell you, but not the works that they do. For they preach, but they do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. They do all their deeds to be seen by others, for they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long, and they love the place of honor at feasts and the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbis by others. But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher, and you are all brothers." And call no man your father on earth, for you have one father who is in heaven. Neither be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Christ. The greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. See, Jesus saw these religious leaders, these Pharisees walking around, and they liked to have all the attention on them. They liked to look really big in public and and, and say all these important things and have people think they're important and give them important titles. They, They looked the part, but underneath, they weren't practicing any of it. Don't be like them, because the greatest will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. True spiritual leaders will lead in serving. That's what they specialize in. And Jesus continually set the example in this. Even on his first day on this earth in human flesh, he didn't live in a palace. He wasn't born in a kingdom. He didn't have a crown. He lived in a barn. On his last day before the cross, he didn't sit on a throne. He took a knee and he washed his disciples' feet. And so from his first day on this earth all the way until his last, he led the way and set the example of what humble service looked like. And so if we are to follow this example that Christ has set before us, where do we start? Where can we start to serve humbly? Humbly. Well, I think we begin by praying and asking God to help us recognize the opportunities to serve that are all around us that we may miss every day. Open my eyes and open my heart that I might see the way I can serve other people. Maybe ask Him to show you the ways that people are serving you every day that you don't even recognize, that you don't even appreciate, ways that people are loving on you that you don't even know. And be sure of this. When you start praying this, there are opportunities out there. We just have to want to see them. There are people that are hurting all around us every day that could use some love and use some service. We just have to want to see them. And once we begin to see them and once we begin to serve them, we begin to truly live counterculturally. Because this world is self serving. And it's getting worse. Have you noticed this? People are looking out only for themselves. I have to look out for myself, because if I don't do it, nobody will. Who, who's looking out for me? Who, who's gonna take care of me? This world is so self-centered, wondering why people won't serve them. It, and so it makes it countercultural to put others first, to put ourselves second. You know, as I've mentioned before, Ashley and I went to Florida last month, and we went to Universal Studios to, to uh, experience and tour through Harry Potter World. Uh, Ashley's a big Harry Potter fan, so uh, she'd never been there. We wanted to go there and, and kind of see everything. And so, in one of the the places called Diagon Alley, there's we were going through all the different shops. And as we exited through one of the shops, of course it's busy. It's you know a theme park and all this. As we exited through one of the shops, there was a gentleman that opened the door for us, and we thanked him and, and walked out. And it, it was just like a normal part of the day, right? Somebody opens the door for you, you th- say, thank you, you move on. But he stopped us and he said, hey, where, where are you all from? And we said, well, we're from West Virginia. And he goes, man, I'm from Georgia. And like, like this is just like a normal thing. But like all day long, people have been looking, just, they just look at me strange when I open the door for them. Like, why are you doing that? Now, now it's, not, it's one thing to not say thank you, right? Like, that's another thing, right? You go home, you're like, man, I opened the door for this lady. She didn't even say thank you to me, right? You just start slamming the door in people's faces, right? right? So that's, it's one thing not to say thank you, but people were looking at him like, why are you holding the door open for me, right? That's, that's where we're at, that people can't even handle somebody serving them. It's out of like, the range of possibility that somebody would serve them and look out for them. Friends, our world is becoming so self-serving that we don't even understand why somebody would serve somebody else. And so as Christians, if we want to look different and we want to not be of this world, might I suggest that we start by loving and serving those that are around us? Let that be the rebellion that we start in this culture, the way that we look different from the world. Because when you look at Jesus and his ministry, he loved those that the world and its leaders didn't love, that cast, they cast them aside. And he served when the world said, not to serve. So start looking for opportunities. Start praying for opportunities that God would open your eyes to the opportunities that are around you. Look for ways that you can serve others. And the best place maybe to start is at home. Look for ways that you can serve your family at home. What are ways that you can lighten the load on somebody else in your household? So maybe you do your own laundry. Maybe you clean the toilet. Maybe you rub their shoulders, though not in that order. Clean, Wash your hands after you clean the toilet. <laughs> maybe you get up and make pancakes on a Saturday morning. Whatever it looks like, how can you lighten the load? How can you make it easier or better or on somebody else? There are a lot of things on the list of things that you can do to serve others in your home. But you know what's not on that list that a lot of us are doing right now? What's not on that list is sitting on the couch and watching YouTube and scrolling through Facebook. That's not on the list of serving one another. And I get it. Like sometimes you just want to, we feel like we tell ourselves we're serving ourselves, right? I'm just, I just need to veg out. I just need to take a break. And we tell ourselves, but let me tell you the truth. That's not serving anybody. That's serving the people that get your data off of Facebook. That's who it's serving, right? Right? That's how, that's what it is. And so we spend so much time doing those things that we're not opening our eyes. We're not opening up our time and our, and our energy to serve those around us. Instead, nobody's serving one another because we're all looking at our phone screen. So maybe it starts with, I'm going to put down my phone and I'm going to actively serve those in my home. And then after we start serving at home, maybe we look for opportunities at work. Maybe you help your coworkers with the task that they've been given, that they're working on after you're all cut up with your own. Maybe you write a handwritten note of encouragement to somebody who's upset. When you see them, and you know they're going through something, you go, I'm just going to write them a note just to brighten their day. Or maybe you just do it randomly. Because one thing we know is that everybody's going through something, right? Everybody could use that encouragement, whether they're showing that they're upset or they're masking it. Maybe we stop. Stop what we're doing and have a face-to-face, those are rare these days, have a face-to-face conversation with a coworker and actually listen to what they have to say. Don't just wait for them to start ta- stop talking so you can tell your own story or turn it into a therapy session for you, right? To listen to what they're going to say. You don't know the impact that can have on somebody because I believe there are people that go day after day, month after month with nobody that actually listens to them. And they don't feel seen, and they don't feel heard. So a, an active listening, face-to-face conversation can go so far on serving somebody. You can serve at home. You can serve at work. And guess what? You can serve here at the church. And this is where we would, like, unfurl this big banner. It's like, it's Volunteer Sunday, right? Let's sign you up, right? That's, we're not doing that, but that's where we could do that, right? It seems like it would, like confetti would shoot out. Listen, you can serve here at the church, and whether it's in the children's ministry or the student ministry or in the cafe or at a starting point or part of our men's ministry or our women's ministry or making meals or on and on and on, there are plenty of places that you can serve. There are plenty of opportunity, opportunities and there are plenty of needs. And let me tell you, right now, we are in a huge need of people stepping up to serve in our church there are people that have stepped down because of different seasons of their life or different phases of their life. They said, I can't do it right now. And so we have a lot of holes and Aubrey is struggling, but would never tell you, right? And our starting point is struggling, but they would never tell you. And You might not know these things on the outside, but so much of what we do on a Sunday morning only happens because people stepped up to serve. I said last week that the church is meant to be a community of believers serving one another, meeting the needs of one another. The church was not created to be a place that you can simply come and sing some songs every, once a week and hear a message and then go home, and that's all you think about it. And unfortunately, that's kind of what we've turned it into, not just here, but in our country as a whole. And so know this, your church, this church, needs you. Yes, you. And without you, we aren't going to be able to do some of the things that we would want to do in our community to reach lost souls for Jesus. Without volunteers, in, in all of the areas that I've listed, and more, the, more, the things that we become accustomed to and many of us use each and every week, they will simply cease to exist because there's not anybody there. Eventually, we're going to run out of volunteers if nobody else would step up. Because we, And we simply cannot do these things if we don't have leaders who lead by serving. In 2 Chronicles chapter 29, we find the story of the Levites during the time of King Hezekiah's reign. Now, if you're familiar with the Old Testament, you know that uh, God's people, they kind of had like an on-again, off-again uh, relationship with God. And it usually came in the form of the current king, either doing or not doing what was right in the eyes of the Lord. And so King Hezekiah, he comes along and he did do what was right in the eyes of the Lord. And so when he takes over, the nation of Judah, man, they're in a bad place because they're coming out of a, of a time where the king did not do what was right in the eyes of the Lord. So much so that the previous king had closed the doors of the temple of the Lord So nobody could worship there. He put uh, 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 idols for pagan worship in the temple of the Lord. He did not do what was right in the eyes of the Lord. Right away when King Hezekiah takes over, he decides, first thing we're going to do, we're going to reopen the temple because the people need a place to come and worship the one true God. But he knows that he can't do it on his own because he needs... The priests and the Levites to come and purify the temple. King Hezekiah, he literally cannot open the temple without the priests and the Levites coming and doing what they are to do. And so he calls them all in for a meeting and he says, My sons, do not neglect your duties any longer. The Lord has chosen you to stand in his presence, to minister to him, and to lead the people in worship and present offerings to him. Friends, there are things that God has called you to do, things that he has gifted you to do, and he needs you to do them. Now, if you know much about the Levites, you know that this was a a select group. You couldn't just... Become a Levite. You couldn't take night classes at the community college to become a Levite, right? You had to be born into this. And so there were only certain people to do these things. You had to be a part of this line of, of, of the nation, of the nation, this line of Israel, in order to be a Levite. This was a group that was set apart and necessary to the worship of the Lord because they only Levites could go to certain places in the temple. But up until this time, they had been neglecting their duties. And so King Hezekiah, he calls them in to do what the Lord has called them to do. Because without their service, the temple cannot be reopened and the people cannot come and worship. And how do they respond? It's my favorite part of the story. Verse 12, then these Levites got right to work. He makes this plea. I need you to do. I need you to do the things that you're called to do. I need you to minister to the people. And they said, let's do it. Let's get right to work. And these Levites, they answered the call and they go to work. And in 16 days, they had the temple reopened. All the damage done by the previous king, gone. And now the people can come to the temple. Without their answering the call to serve and serve in the way that they had been specifically called and gifted, the temple simply could not have been reopened and the people would have suffered for it. The people needed them to do what they had been called to do. These Levites, they didn't have to do this. You know, King Hezekiah could have called them into the courtyard and made this plea and then said, no, nah, I'm good. I, I, I don't. I got other stuff going on. I, I'd rather not. You know. I, listen, there's a lot. Of, you, you see the shape this is in. Like that's a lot of work, Hezekiah. Are you kidding me? And they could have just left. Certainly, their ancestors had decided to shirk their duties and said, "Nah, we're all right." But these Levites heeded the call of their king and of their Lord, and they stepped up to serve, and they became leaders by serving, not for the good of them. Not that they were getting anything out of this, but for the good of the people. And so friends, we are to lead by serving. We are called to lead by serving because serving others isn't just something that we do, it's who we are. We are to follow the example of Christ Jesus and Jesus led through serving others. And yes, that means when we humble ourselves, That means that people are going to use you and they're going to take advantage of you and they're going to hurt you and your pride is going to take a hit time after time. But remember this, Christ went to Calvary for each one of us while we were still caught in our filthy sin, knowing that we would still sin and we would take advantage of him and we would use him and we would hurt him time and time again. But... But because of his great love for you, he served you by going to the cross so that you might benefit and be able to spend eternity with our Father in heaven. Jesus stepped up and he answered the call by doing what only he could do so that you might be saved. So let us approach each day looking for ways, actively looking and praying for ways to love and to serve others that are around us. Let us become countercultural, not by leading in worldly terms, not by making huge posts online, not by saying a lot of words, but by serving. Let us not be like the religious leaders who said a lot of things, had a lot of hot air, but didn't actually do anything. Let us be quiet with our words and loud with our service. Let's answer the call that Jesus has put onto our lives to serve others in love as he did for each one of us on the cross. Let's pray. Father God, this world has a much different definition of success and respect and what it looks like to be a leader than you do. Whereas in this world, the people that make the most money, the people that have the most people serving them, the people that have the most things, they are the leaders. They are what's looked up to on this, on this earth. But in your kingdom, it's the people with the least, the people who are serving the most. Those... Are the leaders in your kingdom. And so, Father, as we live our lives, as we are following your Son Jesus, let us not miss that aspect of it. That he came in humility to love and to serve the lowest of this earth, those that have been cast aside by the people of their time, those that needed something more than this world. And so, Father, as we go about, I pray that we would not be distracted by the things of this world, that we would not cast aside serving you and serving others just to obtain earthly success and earthly leadership Certainly, you have blessed us in many ways. And so there's nothing wrong with being a leader here. There's nothing wrong with being successful here. But let us never let those things take the throne of our heart over your son, Jesus. Let those things always be a distant, distant second to King Jesus that we would always be seeking to serve and to love others the way that He has served and loved us. Because without Jesus, we have nothing. Apart from Jesus, we can do nothing. And I pray that we never forget that. Father, I thank you so much for your love that you would send your only son Jesus to this earth to die for each one of us not to be some great leader not to rule over this world but to humbly serve those that would follow him so I thank you for your love and I thank you for your amazing grace that while we were still sinners he died for each one of us knowing that we would betray him and deny him but he still loved us enough to go to the cross for us And I thank you that he defeated the grave and now that power resides in all of us. And so the next time that we say that we can't do something, I hope we would remember that the Holy Spirit is living inside of us. And through Christ, who strengthens me, all things are possible. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. During this series, we've Moved our time of communion to the end of the service. That this time of response would be a time of true response. Because the bread and the juice of communion, they serve as a weekly reminder of the ultimate price of Jesus' sacrifice. And so we're using this time here at the end to truly respond to Him. So we have two stations up front and one back in the lobby. And we're going to have this soft music playing as you go to the tables and come and grab the the emblems and take them back to your seat. You can also bring forth your your tithes and offerings and drop them off when you grab your communion. You can take the elements back to your seat and, and remember the sacrificial love of Jesus Christ at Calvary for you. You know, in the... When we take communion, a lot of times it's a somber attitude. I don't know if you're like me, but as I grew up in the church, it seemed like there was a lot of, I felt a lot of guilt during communion. Because what I focus on the most is the times that I've fallen short, the times that I sinned this week. And how could I do that to Jesus? He died, And when I remember the sacrifice, I'm like, man, I messed up so many times this week, and he did that for me. How could I do that? And there's so much guilt. And that time of communion, it becomes a time of just overwhelming guilt. But this time of communion should be a time of joy and happiness. That though I did all those things, I am saved from my sin because of Christ's sacrifice at Calvary. And so let me be happy and joyous during this time as I remember the sacrifice. Not that there's guilt, but that there is freedom. I am no longer a slave to sin because of the sacrifice. And so let there be a joy inside as I remember and reflect on what's been done for me. And as I examine my heart, yes, there are times we need to come back to him, but I examine my heart and say, I am free to love others and serve others because Christ has defeated the grave. And no matter how many times I get hurt, no matter how many times I've been rejected, no matter how many times my pride gets stepped on and I get taken advantage of, I'm going to keep loving and I'm going to keep serving because I have a living hope that says nothing in this world can take my salvation away and nothing this world throws at me is ever too much for Jesus. So let's take the time, grab the elements, go back to your seat and remember this sacrifice, examine your heart take it on your own time. And as the next song begins, we invite you to stand and give God your heartfelt worship. Or maybe you're here this morning you need to give Him your heart. You never had that relationship with Jesus. You need to come forth and be baptized and say, I want Him to be the Lord and the King of my life from this day forward. I'll be right down front. I'd love to talk to you about that decision. If you need some prayer this morning, you need somebody to come around side, you put an arm around you and say, let's just lift it up to God, whatever's going on in your life. I'd love to pray with you this morning. I'd be right down front and I'd love for you to come come up and we'll pray together. So if you have a decision to make or, or, or just need some prayer this morning, I'll be down up front during our final Psalm. But at this time, we're going to enter into our time of communion. So let's come to the table and remember the sacrifice of Jesus.